Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment, visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now let's dive in. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host. I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today when we're going to be discussing rethinking education and your life. Recent events have shifted many paradigms in our businesses and in our lives. And one of them has to do with education. We've had colleges shut down right after spring break. We've had middle schools, high schools, and grade schools basically just end the year at the end of March and then declare people having finished those grades. So what happened to that three months of education? Is there a better way to get educated? Is there a new point of view that you may want to consider? This is where rethinking education in your life could come in. And for you today, we have Grant Aldrich, who's going to guide us through this. Grant founded OnlineDegree.com with a purpose-driven mission, make higher education more accessible and affordable for everyone. So he has a story that he's going to share with you about his journey that we're going to get into in just a second, but I am going to tell you just a little bit about him. He's been a board member and donor to a number of nonprofits and advisor to many publicly traded companies, including Wiley Education, and a guest speaker at seminars and graduate school courses across the United States. He graduated with honors from the University of California, Irvine, and economics. Grant is also the proud father of three. Grant Aldrich, come on in. The weather's fine. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Adam. Absolutely. Now, some of our listeners may be opening separate browser tabs. They're leaning in. They're binging the Yahoo out of the Googles. They're going to this website, onlinedegree.com. They're looking up Grant Aldrich, which is spelled A-L-D-R-I-C-H. You're welcome. And what they want to know is a bit more about where you come from and what you bring to us. I read off sections of your official biography, but I know that embedded within that, there's a great story. So what we'd like to do here at Business Creators Radio is start by hitting a pause button before we dive into the main topic and just getting to know a little bit more about our guests, you, that being you, Grant, and tell us about your journey and what's brought you to where you are serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion while making a difference for your community, market, and audience. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I've been a, a lifelong entrepreneur, and the way that I got to where I'm at currently, which I think many people can relate with, is I realized that everything I was doing before in my life, I was doing incorrectly. And when I say that, I mean that I wasn't happy. I was, even with the other previous startups I created, I wasn't doing something that I loved every day, something that I cared about. I mean, it was great. I, you know, nothing wrong with that experience, but I never felt that I had a real purpose behind what I was doing. And I, I was just very, I guess I, I, let me take one step back. I've always, as a kid, wanted to have, you know, 
freedom. And I wanted to be able to do, you know, I don't, I don't never really cared about materialistic things. I wanted the freedom to have, to be able to express my creativity and to express um, real change. And I've also felt that in my prior life, you know, when we get as working adults into, you know, the grind and whatnot and our responsibilities, we lose sight of what our dreams are. And so, you know, getting to today, I basically was able to luckily exit a couple of my previous companies and got to decide, hey, what is the challenge that you want to face for the rest of your life? What do you want to fix? And I got the chance to think really big and do something that I felt would really make a difference. Yeah. You know, I myself love minimalism. In fact, in my book, Groundhog Days, an event, not a business strategy, an entire segment of what we call the spring formula, the G, graining, gaining greater results through minimalism, it's all about using minimalist principles to achieve maximum results. And what that really comes down to, there are many different avenues we approach on how to apply minimalism, but it starts with sharing the question with yourself, with your team, with your organization, every day, many times a day, every time something comes up, what would happen if we didn't do this at all? Yeah, that, I love that. Yeah, that question is intended to surface things you may not need to be doing that may actually be impediments to you reaching your goal. We've discovered over time in our work with companies, helping them review their policies and procedures to combat inefficiencies, that in many cases, rules, policies, and procedures within companies and organizations are nothing more than permanent, overriding, overreaching reactions to a mere blip in the radar screen It could have been shrugged off because somebody had to take responsibility and do something. Meanwhile, we don't even remember why that policy or procedure is in place. And I'm going somewhere with this, Grant. I'm about to turn you loose here. I'm going somewhere with this. So I'm going to start with a question since we're discussing about online degrees and getting a college education online, which is, I think, going to become an even bigger thing than it's been up until now. I'm thinking back to when I was in Penn State, and I love Penn State. I, I bleed blue and white to this day. But I had to spend almost three years, and actually, when you consider how things were spaced out, I was in my senior year at Penn State, and I was still forced to take these stupid general education requirements for things I knew I had less interested in, less interested in, less interest in, see, I'm so flustered just by thinking about it, it's less interest in than lobotomizing myself with a butter knife without anesthesia. So that is the first place I'm going to ask, what would happen if we didn't do this at all? And that's my question for you. What's up with all this general education that goes on for four years of a four-year degree? I agree. And, you know, unfortunately, that's just the way it's going to be because, you know, every university has this requirement. Most people don't even understand this. who have never gone into college for the first time. But for those who, you know, are familiar with this, yeah, if you go into a degree and let's say you choose a major of computer science you're not only gonna have to take computer science courses. I mean, that's the reality because the universities have this philosophy and premise that they wanna create well-rounded individuals. And you know, whether we debate the merits of that or not and how they implement that, you, you, as, a, as a student coming in, you're gonna be forced to take these general education or elective requirements as part of getting your degree. And that includes things like history, like writing, 
um, English, uh, foreign language, you know, all of these other requirements that they'll vary a little bit from school to school, but it's almost impossible to get rid of those completely. Yet there is a bright side because you're Adam, I also had the same, you know, I guess I had the same viewpoint coming out of college and my disdain for these general, under, uh, general education requirements. But what's nice about it is it actually today for a working adult looking to go back to school provides a really neat way to save and get there faster, actually. So what, what, what you and I looked at as a nuisance has now become an advantage that you can take advantage of. Interesting. See, here's the tale of my frustration with it. Early on in my career at Penn State, I met with my academic advisor and we figured out all this stuff that I would have to do. And one of the requirements is I needed nine credits in science. Now, what apparently the, my advisor either didn't check or possibly didn't even know was it had to be a minimum of one class each in three different types of sciences. So I'm at a Commonwealth campus, which would be like a branch campus at Penn State for two years. And then I transfer up to State College, University Park, the main campus. And I brought with me those nine science credits. And now I have a new advisor. And my, and my advisor looks at my stuff and says, okay, well, we have to fit in two science classes. I said, no, we don't. I took three science classes. It's then when I discovered after two years that I was supposed to have been advised to take one of three different types of sciences. Now, you damn right, they gave me a waiver on that because the phrase raise hell would have lost its bite compared to what I was going to do if they actually thought I was going to sit through two more science classes. <laughs> See, and the reason I bring this up is I agree that if you're going for a university education, it's called a university for a reason. It's not a trade school. It's not a technical school. It's not an associate's degree. It's universe. It's supposed to give you a taste of everything that goes on in the world. It's supposed to augment your process of discovery and help you make the best decisions for yourself as you go along. But do we really need to spend three and a half years on that? Couldn't we knock that off in like three semesters? And then after that, if somebody wants to be a doctor, they can be like studying medicine stuff. Yeah, well, I think what you just touched on is another huge bit of aggravation and um, tackles kind of a, like a, a commonly known myth, which is that the courses that we take at a junior college or a community college or even at the university itself sometimes don't always satisfy the requirements towards our degree. And how frustrating is that? Because in this case, in your personal story, it wasn't like you were at a different university and there was some you know, something lost in the transmission of what was recommended. And of course, there's a lot of different moving parts here. It was at the same university. And so I think that gives a really good example of how likely this scenario can happen, even at your own school. So, and that's something that I am trying to help students avoid as well. Yeah, and I didn't want to spend the entire hour on this topic. I just wanted to surface it because it's a common frustration that a lot of folks have. Uh, you know, you go to this university and then it's like, you know, you spend all this time taking all this stuff. And another comment I get is, and this was actually part of my experience going through some of this gen ed stuff. It's like, I already did this in high school. Why do I have to do it again? Yeah. And, and I'm not, and I'm not saying, and I'm not saying that 
well, yeah, the stuff they taught in college is more advanced. I'm saying, no, this is the same stuff. Why do I have to do it again? It, it is. It's frustrating. You're right. Yeah. And you know what this is, too? I, I think a lot of this, for, for most people, not in your specific example there, but in, for most people, where this breakdown happens is in what has now become the failure of the community college system. And when I, when I say that, there's nothing wrong with the people there. There's nothing wrong with, you know, the mission. But at the end of the day, it's a government institution. And as we all know, these things update uh, at a far slower pace than, than what the market does. And although, Adam, when you and I went to school, this would have been, you know, the, the first and primary method to save and to get your feet wet and going to college. Times have changed. And a lot of the things and the aggravations with that system have now come to the surface. One of them being exactly what you described. You know, you're, you're, you're being told to take certain courses that don't, uh, that don't work towards your degree. And what people don't realize is it's very common that you take a course at a community college. And when you arrive at the school, they don't give you any credit at all. Think about how frustrating that is. In this case, you were able to appeal and get some credit, but you don't get any credit at all. And you know what it all comes down to at the end of the day is because why is this all possible and why does this happen? Is because these institutions don't have the most important thing as business creators that we all know, which is that they're not customer driven. If you treat every person who comes to a community college as a customer, you would never allow them to do this. But if it's a government institution, the whole point of it is that, hey, we have to provide this mass service to as many people as possible and as affordable as possible. Well, that is a disservice to many people who are committing two to four years of their life. And because you don't have that, 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 that interaction and that help to tell you, no, 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 let's take a closer look here and make sure that when you go to Penn State, you're going to have these courses articulate. That's what's lacking. And that's the problem. Yeah. And, and again, I'll just say one more time. I'm not saying that in a university saying there should be no general education at all, because having those other concepts that may not tie directly to the degree will give you a more universal education and will make you better at whatever it is you do choose to do. But I don't think you should spend like three and a half out of your four years doing that. I think it should be like a year and a half. And it shouldn't just be the high school stuff all over again. One more point I want to make, and then I want to get on to a question I know is burning on a lot of our listeners' minds. So here is mine. Uh, growing up, I was classified as gifted. My IQ score put me in the gifted category. I was in all the gifted programs and everything else. I took all the advanced classes, and I uh, even you know showed up at Penn State with an entire semester worth of AP credits in the bag. So that was great. One thing I could not do was mathematics. I cannot solve an isosceles quadrupede for X. And I only, I only, I know I've gotten like two of those three things incorrect. So uh, I'm getting paperwork for processing my registration for advanced placement courses. I'm getting information sent to me about possibly doing dual study where I'm actually taking college courses while I'm still at the high school level in the same package I'm getting that deficiency report because I can't pass a goddamn geography uh, geometry test right so you look at that and then you know what feedback I got that uh, you, you know what you know what you know what was actually seriously suggested to me that I drop all those advanced classes so I could get my math grade up 
Meanwhile, I had no interest in anything that had to do with mathematics. That's something I've known since I was about four years old. I never had the interest or the aptitude beyond basic addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. And if I need to measure an angle, I can figure out the degrees, like to cut a piece of wood or something like that. I can do that. And I know, and I understand how to do wiring for electrical systems and stereo systems and deal with amps and gauges and things like that. And yes, I understand that's basically algebra, but I can do it without solving for X. So the suggestion was seriously made for me to throw away all that stuff. And all those other courses I did so well in, I breezed through. I liked, I liked the material. I understood it. I was able to do stuff with it, and good grades came naturally to me. So you'd think that maybe my brilliance and passion was somewhere in those areas. Would that make sense? Well, think of the absurdity in that, yeah. in that recommendation you received. I'm not, Grant, I'm sorry I'm not done. There's one okay. more piece. I want to give you the other piece, and then I think your reaction may be a little bit stronger. Okay. So I got as far in high school as a course called Trigonometry and College Algebra. Again, I couldn't, I don't even know if that was the one with the shapes or the solve for X or whatever. I have no freaking clue. I go to Penn State and part of the intake process is to take proficiency tests in certain areas for the general education so they can determine where to fit you into the general education track so you get the most out of it based on how you showed up. Make sense? Uh, when I did my mathematics test, you know, along with me submitting all those AP credits and being told I should take advanced this and advanced that and advanced the other thing, here are my recommendations for mathematics. They suggested that uh, to fulfill the two courses and six credits I was required to take in mathematics for my general education, I take two classes. Guess what they were? Trigonometry and college algebra. With a recommendation, I take a remedial course first. Okay, with all that, and I wanted you to tell the whole story before I, I turned you loose on this. What went wrong? Yeah, you know, I, I think that what you've touched on is probably my greatest criticism of the university system today in the United States, which is that it's highly rigid. And it's, it's, it's you know, do any of us care if Mozart knew how to do algebra? And the answer, of course, would be no. We don't if, care. If I, if, I, if I care about that, I can get a biography of Mozart. It'll tell me. And if not, <laughs> and if not I'll, I'll do research. I mean, Mozart, I mean folk, Mozart's a famous guy, and I believe he still has uh, relatives around who probably have access to his papers. If we want to find out about Mozart's algebraic skills, I'm fairly sure we can get an answer to that. But go ahead. You're right. We probably could dig that up. But the point being that you have someone who's incredibly gifted in something, and do we really care if they are gifted that they should be doing things that are completely outside the realm of their skill sets? You know, let's say, um, not, I can make a lot of analogies here, but let's say we have a star like Wayne Gretzky. Do you care if Wayne Gretzky knows how to throw a football? No, he's exactly. a hockey player. He's a hockey player. Yeah. So, you know, the problem with the system is that they've become so rigid in the way that they've, organized and back to your general edu education point this the the canon or all the curriculum of these courses that they've really lost sight of the forest and the trees which is that why can't we customize and tailor to an individual strengths and foster those and help them develop into you know whatever that they would like to do 
and, and instead they, they feel they feel compelled to, you know, um, bring up some minimum amount or minimum requirement across the board. And it's just, it's foolish. You know, it, it's not necessary in so many cases. Like, look, if you came and said, yeah, well, I want a career in engineering. Well then, okay, well, we have a problem then. You have to know these things if you're going to do it. There's a reality. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, 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 you know, not, very few of us are going to be engineers. And so that doesn't really matter. So I agree. That's probably my biggest pet peeve is that you just don't see a, sadly, you know, a, a custom and, um, uh, you know, a, a custom fit approach to education. Yeah. And uh, it's a little bit different. I have an MBA as well from Duquesne University and MBA programs are a little bit different. Here's what people don't recognize about MBAs. Somebody will say, well, I have an MBA with a concentration in human resource management. I have an MBA with a concentration in accounting. I have an MBA in a concentration in healthcare management. Okay, the concentration just means you took a couple of courses in that thing. An MBA is an MBA. It's a generalist degree. Uh, now, there's certain things that we discover in MBA programs. For example, my first semester of my MBA program, I took a course on statistics because we all took courses on statistics. To this day, I don't know where the hell to plot those dots on the graphs and flows, what have you. In fact, I, uh, you know, we, I had a very, very nice um, and generous, enthusiastic, passionate instructor. His name is Dr. Ralph Liberator. I mean, I still remember his name. You could call him at home and he'd be happy to help you. That's how much he was enthused about this stuff. And I remember being on a phone call with him for almost an hour where I was coming up with the right answers and I couldn't explain how. All right, so one semester later, I take another one of those general education courses, and this is about, the, you know, this is about theories of um, industrial management. Instructor, Dr. Ralph Liberator, and everything that he shared in this second course about industrial management, all of a sudden, all the ahas are going off in my mind. It's like, oh, now I know what the curve means. Oh, now I know what a mean and a median is. Oh, so that's what Q jumping is. It was all coming. Oh, and that's what Edwards Deming meant when he said that. Okay. So in your opinion, was that approach the correct one for me to learn the charts and the graphs first, or should I have the theory first? I'm not sure which is right. I agree. And, and this is, you know, now we're getting into I'm, teaching I'm, styles. I'm, 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 not, I'm not criticizing. I'm asking, is it more effective for people to be thrown into the water and then discover where they need to optimize their muscles to learn how to swim, or should they go through an extensive regimen of learning how to swim before they're even shown a swimming pool? I, I, I don't know. You tell me. Um, you're because, uh, you know, because especially as applies to online education, I'm looking to show how this is uh, basically the wave of the future. I would agree with you. I think that that's... Uh... I don't believe in that method or the, the one that you received. I believe that what's far more effective is if you give the perspective first, right? Okay. Because if we have perspective, like I think very few people, for example, understand why you even use calculus, right? As one example. Yeah. So I remember when I first began calculus and this was in, um, in high school, uh -huh. you know, they don't, they don't provide you any perspective whatsoever. You just get thrown into these proofs where you're doing these equations and you don't understand why you're doing it. So of course we ask, you know, we, we, we always ask ourselves, why are kids disinterested in this? Why are they dropping out? It's because we're not solving anything. We're not doing anything. We're not, and, and, the, and the reality is we're not robots. Yeah. When you understand what the problem is that you're trying to solve and then bringing knowledge and tools 
to bear to solve it. It's far more fulfilling and far more challenging and um, elicits more creativity. So to say, oh, look, how are you going to calculate what the volume is in this odd shape? And look at the problem we have here. And that being, you know, the, uh, the, in that example that I gave. But no, so in, in your case, I think with an MBA, that's even more important. Because yeah. you're right. You, and ultimately in a business, no one's going to come to you and say, we've got the statistics problem. No, there's a real world problem what they're trying to solve. You know, we and have statistics to figure- is the answer, yes. Exactly. Yeah, or, or rather not the answer, but or maybe it is the answer, but it's it's the process you'll use. So we have uh, 13% product waste or our breakdowns on the assembly line are up 15%. That's where you begin to use statistical probabilities and other sorts of things. Or if you find a customer service times, or have gone way up and uh, you're getting more refund requests from people who can't get help. Now you're getting into Q theory. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what that does too, is that creates a population of people that always try to solve the same problem or always have the same answer to the same, to a, mul- a multitude of problems, right? Like I've, I've yeah. my, I've, uh, you're right. The old joke, if, um, if, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yes. So if you, if you learn only about statistics in your career and you only become so immersed in applying statistical modeling, well, then you try to solve everything with that. And the reality is, is that's, that very few things are actually solved with that. In fact, you have to be able to gain perspective and understand, look at problems in a very dynamic way and determine how you can solve them, utilizing, yeah. like you said. So yeah, right. you know, these are, sadly, what we're touching on are all of the problems that are absolutely present in the education system today. And there aren't a lot, a lot of good alternatives in that sense. Well, I'm wondering if, uh, you know, the idea of learning online. Uh, I have a question I'm going to ask you from a place of genuine curiosity. My understanding of how homeschooling works, and I've gotten this from some people lately who have found themselves all of a sudden leading homeschools, if you know what I'm talking about, (laughs) is they discover very quickly that while their kid was being picked up on a school bus or dropped off by the parent or what have you so that they could be in first period class by 7.50 and go through eight periods and eight bell changes with one lunch and one study hall to get dismissed at 2.35 p.m. and be on the school bus and be at home at 3.03 p.m. That in the world of homeschooling, the kids actually don't have to wake up till like nine or 10, depends. And their actual study time will be really a couple hours and that gets them about the same level of education somehow that they would receive by running between class every time the bell rings. And I can see a couple reasons why some people may be reporting that experience. So what I really want to ask you, Grant, that's sort of like a a prelude to my question is, what are some of the differences between classroom learning and online learning that go way beyond I can study in my pajamas at home instead of having to go to a classroom. It's a great question. And actually I homeschool my children. So this is something that I can actually speak to. Was um, I right? Well, I put a lot of thought into this and um, yes, ultimately, you know, deciding to homeschool versus, cause I think your question probably should have just one little added caveat to it that we're comparing it to the current classroom model, like this, the standardized or public classroom. Uh-huh. Model, right? And this is a very deep conversation. We can look at this in a lot of ways, but if you look at the history of why we even went into these classrooms, it wasn't because this was a more effective 
learning method. It was uh-huh. because we wanted to teach standardization and to teach discipline to a very agrarian community at the onset of the industrial revolution, right? You had all these kids who were in farmhouses and schools and how are you going to make sure that they show up every day to a factory job? Well, you have to do that through this conditioning that became the, the public school system of, Hey, we, we show up at eight and you're sitting in your desk and all of these things. But the reality is it's just like you said, we all know when we, when we learn in our own personal lives, we don't learn at some schedule like that. Yeah. We jump in as of interest um, based, on our create, you know, based on our curiosity and our creativity. We begin immersing ourselves in a subject and that passion rolls and rolls and rolls. And we may want to spend 12 hours, like a crazy 12 hour stint learning something uh-huh. very, and then put it down and come back to it three days later and keep going. Right. And it's a very organic awesome and um, personalized way to learn. And so, yeah. no, to answer your question, I think it's far superior. And I think we see that in the test results. I think we always see that homeschool kids yeah. dominate what their um, public school peers will typically do in terms of testing and all these other yeah. metrics. Well, let me just state for your ears and for our listeners' ears, you know more about homeschooling than I do because I don't currently have children. I don't have people in a homeschooling curriculum. I can only repeat anecdotes. So anything you say about homeschooling, if it's different from what I say, you're right and I'm wrong. Let's just lay that out right now. That being said, here's what I picked up in your response. Um, As a consultant and as a mentor and a guide, I work with clients and those who sometimes are still new to me will ask questions like, well, when are your office hours? And, uh, and uh, when do you take, I, I don't know, sometimes I don't wake up till one o'clock in the afternoon if I don't have any appointments and I feel like I need to catch up on my sleep. Uh, I'm one of those people who sometimes go on something till six o'clock in the morning because I'm fired up about it and I'm not feeling tired. In fact, today's a case of that. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. So when somebody wants to know when I can bring a deliverable up, I have two questions for them, which is when do you need it by and what is the dependency upon which my delivery rests? Because I'm not going to be motivated if you're making up an arbitrary an arbitrary deadline. I need to know what the dependency is. What's going to not happen if I don't deliver? And if there is no dependency, then I'm going to ask why we need to do this. So what I'm understanding, and again, you're right and I'm wrong if I don't have this right, is with the homeschooling system, there's no requirement that they do it from eight in the morning till three o'clock in the afternoon, Monday through Friday. But what students are responsible for is passing certain tests by a certain time and completing requirements of the educational system. The journey they take to get there is a the journey they take to get there. And it doesn't matter if they study one hour a day or 20 hours a day or whatever they feel like doing, as long as they take those tests when they're mandated to and they pass those tests. Do I have that basically? Yeah, I think that's I think that's basically true. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it, it's um, because the way that they standardize the 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 homeschooling curriculums in you know, and this changes by every state is normally based on these standardized standardized tests and maybe some checking in on the curriculum and things like that. And so, because of that, you're right. If you if you ultimately just have to, to um, demonstrate your your um, knowledge and your command of the material via a test, well, then it really doesn't matter what happens before that as long as you pass the test. Now, I would say that that is true from a massive public school standpoint where you're trying to create those standardizations. But the reality is, is that 
you know, if, if you really are trying to teach someone something, right? So let's go back and like, we'll talk about like that mathematics. It's far better to immerse them in a very, you know, far reaching way around what they know and cut, you know, changing that so that they really grasp the material as opposed to what we all know in the public school system, which I'm also a product of, where you're just cramming, you're going very little, you pass the test, you move on, you forget everything. So, and, and of course you're in an, in an environment like we just discussed where it's um, rigid, it's, co it's constantly uh, being tailored to the lowest common denominator in, in the classroom, you know, all these things that work as impediments. So I could definitely yeah. talk all day about that. Yeah, let me, yeah, I mean, for, for example, and I, I think this is where we go to speaking of the passions, the education system, there's no way I could have understood algebra, geometry or trigonometry or something, but if you understand how to install a stair, like, you know, put a system in your ride, put a stereo in your car, then you're actually using all of those disciplines, which I discovered only later on when I had my Camaro and I put a competition grade system in that car that I designed myself and with some help from my dad basically installed myself. And in the process, I had to understand electrical currents. I had to understand loads, gauges, amps. I had to understand how to cut things on certain angles. I had to understand how to create soundproofing, uh, interfacing with the alternator of the vehicle to charge a second battery that was installed, amplifiers, capacitors, subwoofers. I could go on and on and on and on and on. Now, that's something I was very passionate about. And that's something that even though I haven't done it for 25 years, I might have to take a quick refresher on it, but I could do it again. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm using algebra, trigonometry, and, geo and geometry in doing those things. But I didn't recognize until afterwards that those disciplines were present within that work. And what made it real for me is I was using them for things that I enjoyed. Yeah, I think you and I would agree. That's really the best way to learn. So, and it really, I think that ties up everything we just covered, right? That there's a problem-based and you have to bring a number of problems and you're learning as you do it. It's, uh, it's far more dynamic. It's more passionate because you're, you're doing something of interest. I mean, the reality is you're right. You could probably pick a million interesting projects that involve mathematics where you'd be eager to learn as opposed to resenting sitting in a classroom to learn. Uh -huh. And uh, I think that's why, like, you know, not to segue, but um, why, you know, the robotics teams at different schools are normally like the best programs because they take a bunch of kids and they give them a problem. Like, we have to make this robot work. And it's this multidisciplinary sort of, um, you know, competition and, and, uh, and build that they have to incorporate. And that's fascinating. And so I agree that, that, that that's a far better way to, to educate. Yeah, MBA programs, uh, when done properly, are not entirely dissimilar. Like if you're doing business problems or case studies, we're actually less interested in what actually happened in that case study than our, than our theory is on how it should have been solved. I, I took a class that was on business problems, and it was nothing but reviewing a series of cases from the Harvard Business Review. And I don't think we once discussed when we went through these 15 cases we went through over the course of the semester what actually happened the entire focus was on our approach to how we would address it if we were hired to do so oh that's very cool yeah so it emphasizes so it emphasizes that creativity and also allows that different situational factors may determine what the answer could become my big takeaway from that class is you, know, you had every you know there 
they had a case and everybody was giving their manufactured responses based on what they dealt with from nine to five in their jobs of you know, with all the language and all the buzzwords. And one of the two co-professors of that class just, you know, wait, waved his arms. He, he normally sat there quietly observed, but when he started waving his arms, you knew he was about to drop a bomb on you. He was one of those types. And he said, you know, you guys, uh, I love your buzzwords and your jargon and all that, but you're looking to solve this company's problem in this case study. Did any of you think to ask the business owner if she even wanted to be in that business anymore? <laughs> the point being is that was an eye-opener because it spoke to the value of creativity and looking at angles far beyond an approved curriculum that's designed to generate a test score to increase funding. Yeah, that whoever that was, was definitely had experience out in the business world working with founders or executives. Yeah. That's uh, very he, telling. He, he, was, he was the real thing. In fact, um, in fact, that pairing, the reason it had two instructors is he was the guy who actually was hands-on and was out there consulting and working with companies. The other professor was your ivory tower type who spent all their years in the classroom. The right. point being is co-instructors gave you two different ways of approaching the problem and two different viewpoints that could be shared, which was intended to broaden our minds. Yeah, and of course, I, you know, I actually, well, I love the format of that. And I think I would also agree with, and at least in my case, if I was going to look at my business, like what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, it, it all, it, it is very similar to what you described. It's always just problem solving. I mean, you, you have an initiative or a plan that you set forth for the business, but then as that plays out, you're just constantly solving smaller problems, bigger problems, smaller problems, testing it again. You know, it's just, it's, it's every day. You're just problem solving. And so you do have to take that approach. That is the right mindset to look at things, I think, uh, to create value in a business. Yeah. So speaking of another problem here, and uh, we, I think we have just enough time to cover this, is you mentioned to me earlier that when you came out of your college education, you had a ton of debt, which is not exactly new to a lot of people. That's actually part of where I was going with, I knew, and I knew we'd get here eventually, with the questions about why do we have to have so much general education because that could potentially shave a year off the, off the curriculum or could make the cost more valuable. So Grant, how did it become so expensive and what do we do about it? Yeah, that's a great question. And I did, you know, and I seemingly did everything right. I think I had a very similar path that you did where I took a lot of AP and courses before and came into college, um, you know, with a lot finished. And I also went to a state school, right? Yeah, that was the more affordable option. Yeah, uh, my, yeah. Penn my, State's a state school. Yep. Right. Yeah. My family didn't come from money. So it was widely understood that I would get into, you know, the best state school. And um, so the problem I think, and even then, after all of that, I left with a lot of debt and it's inevitable. And it's inevitable because I took a 18 year old uh, approach without any perspective uh, and just accepted the system for what it was. And as working adults, that we cannot do that because as working adults, we have a number of challenges that change ourselves now in our 20s, 30s and 40s. And those are that one, we can't amortize the kind of debt that we take on is, as, a, as an optimistic kid in their 18, as, as an 18 year old, that we can now, right? If we wanna get somewhere and change what we're doing, change our career paths, it has to, we have to look at the ROI. And the problem right. is that ROI balance in higher education has been completely thrown off. But 
The good news is now, and I think with what we're doing and with a lot of things that are available out there, you can, I don't want to say the word hack because that uh, it's, it's too strong of a word, but you can carve your own path to save a substantial amount of money to get your degree. And that is important because no matter what they say out there, if you, if you survey HR companies, having a degree is still the most important factor when you look at um, your competition versus you and another candidate. And so that's the beauty of the system. And so kind of back to your, your point about that general education requirement, the beauty of this now is that I'll give you one example. Instead of going to a school, uh, a four-year university, to take all those general education requirements, in addition to whatever your major is going to be, you can take them elsewhere at a far lower cost or no cost at all, in our case. Because uh, let me explain what online degree does. At onlinedegree.com, I looked at this problem for working adults. and I looked at the, um, there's basically an estimated 35 million working adults who are not taking that first step to go back to school. It, despite overwhelming demand, globalization, robot automation, you know, technological advancement, they're not doing it. Why? So here is the solution. I made it so that in, anybody can get started in 60 seconds. No, appoint, no, uh, no applications, no entrance exams, get started and start taking college level courses. And you can receive credit for the courses that you take, get all the support that you need and going above and beyond getting you extra discounts at the various universities when you show up, we do it all for free. Wow. All for free. And by doing that, it creates this environment that solves so many of these problems and makes it so that a working adult will finally take the step and do what they've wanted to do. It's been nagging in the back of their heads for the last, let's say five years. And by doing that, like, and so as part of that hack, for example, you come on onto our platform and we've got 15 college level courses you can take and they're really interesting stuff, all introductory, introduction to programming, introduction to um, robotics, history. But what's great is that by taking these courses, most likely they will um, satisfy a genetic requirement, an elective requirement, and when you combine that with, let's say, a discount that we get at uh, those universities, so it could be 10%, 20%, you can go into your degree perhaps with like 30 to 40% less than what you would have paid, and you can get there faster. So yeah. these kinds of things that where you can hack towards your degree is the way that I wanted to be able to create something as opposed to leaving every work every day, you know, trying to go down to a community college, college course, which isn't a reality. Uh-huh. Well, for some people, it's, uh, it's a very difficult reality, and for some, it's something they can't do. I was very fortunate that when I went for my MBA, and I did do that MBA program on a full-time basis, while I had a full-time job, work was literally right across the street. Hmm. And it was the kind of job that, you know, paid well, and it was actually related to the thing that I wanted to do with my MBA once I had it, but it wasn't the type of job where I really had to take it home with me. I could, at 4.30, I could say, all right, we're done for the day, and it wouldn't follow me. So it's not like that type of career issue to get in somebody's way. You made a comment that I seized upon uh, when you said that when you went to college, you basically went with the program or something to that effect. Now, when I was at about that point, I was, from my recollection, just far enough into my exploration of intellectual curiosity to know that a lot of the things that we were told we were supposed to do was really just a bunch of bullshit made up by somebody and you had to ask what their profit motive was. Right. But I didn't have the tools to articulate how to deal with that. So it was very easy for somebody to say, well, that's just the way it is. And I said, oh, okay. So... Uh, I'll tell you very briefly. I mean, my experience in high school, um, 
I would trade my high school experience for four years in a maximum security prison. That's how bad it was. All right. So, I mean, I'm being a little bit hyperbolous, but uh, in that statement, but I'm just saying it was awful. And even as a junior in high school, I calculated that if for the first three years, my freshman, senior and junior years, I had just simply skipped study hall and put another course in those three slots, I could have finished it in three years. Because when I got to senior year, I only needed three credits to graduate. I could have just skipped study halls and gone straight through for three years, banged it out and been done. Mm -hmm. Then taken a gap year where I could have traveled, explored, held down a job to make money, whatever I wanted to do, and then get back into college. So the way I would have had to have done that is I would have had to have uh, done the three years of high school. And this is always explained to me, and maybe I was given correct information, maybe I was wasn't. But because I'd only done three years, I would still have to take a GED to get my diploma to, to uh, fulfill the state's educational requirement, which I was more than happy to do. But then I was also told, well, if you do that, forget about college. I hope you, I hope you enjoy fixing HVAC systems, as if that's a bad thing, which it's not. I mean, we need air conditioning more than we need a lot of things in this world, right? And um, so... What I, so what I mean by this is I recognized at that time that the system, the way it was designed and the way we were supposed to do things are a construct rather than what necessarily in all cases benefits us best, but I wasn't quite in a position to articulate how else to approach that and how to do the research. I went back to 19, uh, like 1994, 1995 when all that was going on and I looked back at you know, what the, the system was like at the time. And I found out that if I had finished those 21 credits in three years, taken my GED, gotten a piece of paper that said, I don't have to participate in the school's education or the, or the state's education system anymore, taking that year off and then started with college, I discovered that in all likelihood, my the biggest thing that universities would have wanted was to see me do a year of community college just to show that I was serious about higher education because, I, because of the GED. The GED itself was not a death sentence. They would just want me to do an extra little thing. And then going back to your hacking, I could have used that year at the uh, community college to get ahead on my university uh, career, spent three years there, and save some money on it. Yeah, that's right. How you know, did I do? <laughs> no, well, you know what it really comes down to? is what you touched on, which is true, is that it's a lack of information. And that's the yeah. problem is that, you know, very few people understand all of these pathways. And a lot of it is because higher education does not have a lot of opportunity for entrepreneurial spirit. And I say that right. because usually, usually most of the great innovations and things that simplify our lives, make it better comes from entrepreneurs and new startups and things that are doing things better to um, provide value in the marketplace. And only recently are we able to take these, um, these opportunities, these hacks, and now bring it to you know, the mass population say, no, there's a better way to hack this and to do these things. And it's only now recently. And that's what's so sad. Because you're right, if you can go back in time, you could probably give yourself very different advice. And most people just have a lack of knowledge altogether about the college process, how to get there faster, uh, more affordably, things like that. Yeah, preci precisely. So as I see it, what's unfortunate is that, and I think this comes from the lower levels of the educational system. And again, going back to your point is where 
you know, kids are told to go to grade school, middle school, high school and such. So they're conditioned to the idea that they show up somewhere at eight o'clock in the morning and they leave at four o'clock because it's preparing them for an, an industrial world. So because it's conditioning, what's also discouraged in some cases is any sort of critical thinking. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and, I, and, that, and I think that's what I meant by, I was just far enough to recognize that a lot of it was bullshit, but I didn't have the tools to deal with it. So yeah. It's very easy for me to say, no, that's just the way it's gonna be. You will do it. And I say, oh, okay. Well, at least you doubted it, right? That's the important yeah. thing. You were young. <laughs> uh -huh. I got a lot of instant, I've got a lot of memories like that as well. And that's the important part. And so now you're right. Now today we're a little bit, you know, we're, we're hopefully a little bit wiser, a little smarter, and uh, we can find the answer where we know something is bullshit. And, and yeah, and that, and, and that's the, you know, and that's the, the tough thing that people face now, I think. And that's, but by the way, I think that's why we're now seeing this reaction of why that 35 to 40 million estimated adults are not taking the first step and why there's this huge yeah. opportunity there to create something. Because even with that, most people don't even realize how amazing online is, which I think you uh -huh. up earlier. I mean, so many degree programs are far better when learned online. I mean, if you're yeah. in a computer science program, you cannot tell me that online is not better than sitting in a classroom with a pad of paper and notes. It's ridiculous. Oh, God, no. Because if I'm, if I'm, because I, I like to toy around with technology sometimes and, and codes and things. I don't want to, I don't want theory. I want to get in there and try and do it and solve it as I go along to your point. Exactly. And, and th or think about, uh, you know, we can come up with a lot of different degree, pro a lot of different, uh, you know, disciplines, but, you know, and think about engineering, wouldn't it be better to be on a zoom call when you're looking at something, you're talking with some people and they're showing you how to do it on the screen. I mean, there's a million ways it's better. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because if I'm on a zoom call, that also means I'm on my computer so I can be doing it in real time. Exactly. And, and even, I think, yeah, even if they allow laptops in your classroom, the desk probably isn't big enough. Yeah, right. And then, of course, you know, there's so many distractions, you know, you're in these huge classrooms and you just can't, you can't argue that you're far better sitting at home in an environment really concentrating on the time that you're there instead of being in this big, you know, social setting where you're not, uh -huh. I mean, that's not, that's not ideal. And, uh, but it's fun. And that's why, you know, that's a big part of the college yeah. experience, but it's not. Bad. Uh -huh. And so I guess what that's all going to is then also back to your point about the methods of which we learn that are unconventional. We're not sitting at a desk for that period of time is that, yeah, that enables also that we can interweave our learning and personal growth or, or our career aspirations around our existing schedules. We yes. can do it. When, well, I can watch something while I'm cooking dinner. I can do it on the couch after the kids go to bed. You know, whatever it is. Yeah, and I think that there that some educational experiences, just in general, are benefited by the online thing. I mean, when I went to Penn State, uh, you heard me say that uh, I viewed my high school experience as being like in a maximum security prison. And what's the first thing that people do once they get out of prison? They want to get the hell out of there. <laughs> so I needed to go away to school. In fact, in fact, if it, it, that's what basically got me back on the path towards maturation and developing in life. I needed that experience, and it was invaluable to making me a whole person who could function as an adult in the world. I would not trade my four years or four and a half years at Penn State for anything. I might have done some things differently, but the overall experience, no. No, absolutely not only necessary, but something I look upon with a lot of nostalgia, pride, and very positive memories. Now, when I went, now when I went to Duquesne for my MBA, 
And I'd have people come like, hey, man, are you going to go watch the Dukes? And then start telling me about frat parties and all. I'd say, I'm coming here for an MBA. That means I might stop at the student union for a snack on my way to class. I'm here to get the paper. I'm here to get the education and the piece of paper so I can get moving in my career. I'm not interested in collegiate work. So that right there, I think, is the difference between where a classroom experience could be appropriate or, um, or a, res a reside on campus experience could be um, appropriate versus where online learning could actually do the job perhaps more effectively because I could have done that MBA at home and uh, done it on Zoom calls we had them at the time. It wouldn't have made much of a difference, candidly. Yeah, you're right. Neil, the good thing is, is that since then, the, the, the market for adult learners, and when I say adult learners in this context, I mean who are driven, who do not care about going to some party or any kind of the social uh, aspects of college, has, has matured immensely and is really geared towards that now, where the, you know, with sends all the distractions and whatnot. So that's the good news, is that the, 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 the market slowly has now adapted where there's a lot of good options for adults to go back to school. Yeah, and I think, that, I think that's great. And that's where online learning is very valuable. See, what I like about your solution overall is how you have brought things together, helping people connect at their intersection of their brilliance and their passion when they pursue higher education. I like how you've shifted the cost factor to move it in favor of the student. And I also like how this is evolutionary with the times that we're in right now. Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah, though it wasn't easy, I'll tell you, because you're, you're, you're ultimately bringing about change in an industry like this is fraught with adversity, to say the least. Uh -huh. And because so many things that we understand with higher education, you know, tuition and certain processes are, have become so ingrained that it's difficult to um, innovate out of that. But you're right. Thank you. I mean, really what the goal was to be was to be as flexible as possible and, and for, for no matter who that person is and agnostic to what school eventually you end up with. And, you know, that's the goal. It's been uh, it's been quite the ride. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, again, it depends on what you are in university for. I remember uh, maybe 20 years ago, I was interviewing for a job and uh, and, you know, I went through all this work of putting together my resume and my background. And I'd, I'd gotten this interview just through networking. And it was an entrepreneur who owned a small company. He had three employees. And uh, he uh, said, okay, education, well, you know, I don't really care. Whatever school you went to is the right one. <laughs> well, you know what I think that was? I think that because what he, what he probably know is that there's this, he, he focused on the intangible benefits that you can judge someone on for getting their degree, which, you know, kind yeah. of back to your time at Penn State where you said that you enjoyed that time. It's because you took on an immense amount of self-discipline and drive and all these things to get that degree done. And that would have yeah. been true no matter what school you went to. And it does show a lot of character to commit to something, finish it, persevere. And I would agree that is one of those yeah, well, that's one of the fringe benefits that employers look at when you get one. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's like a credentializer. So unfortunately, Grant, we are near the top of our time. So I want to give uh, you one more minute. Uh, anybody who has an interest in pursuing this conversation further or would like to look at a new way to rethink their education in their life, uh, how do you assist them and how do they get started? Yeah, well, it'd be great to follow the project. You know, it is, uh, it's onlinedegree.com. And, uh, you know, we've really tried to create a, 
uh, you know, the platform where people are going to use to take that first step to go back to school, whether for a degree or a certification and make sure that we can help you save money and time. That's the, that's the goal. And we're, it's going very well. You know, we've got, you know, thousands of students signing up every day, uh, more partnerships with schools coming in every day. It's just been an incredible run. And so, you know, even if people can check out, you know, what we're doing for themselves or just kind of follow it, it's at the site. And if they'd like to get in touch with me or stay in touch, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So it'd be great to hear from you. Um, you can just Google my or LinkedIn, my name or online degree in my name and uh, can connect me there. Very good. All right. So Grant Aldrich of onlinedegree.com. Well, excuse me, onlinedegree.com. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education. Literally. Oh, thank you for having me. Really? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. All right. So for everybody listening, we trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.